Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live, another edition and another special guest. Today's guest is Brian Bunn. He is a high, uh, excuse me, club volleyball coach, recruiter, and also a former collegiate volleyball coach. Brian, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, just share a little about, a bit about how you got into to volleyball coaching. Yeah, uh, played basketball in high school and a couple of years in college and always wanted to be a coach. And then I discovered the sport of volleyball and started playing uh, volleyball collegiately. And like I said, just fell in love with the sport and started helping out with the women's team at UT San Antonio. And that was 1986. So started coaching in 86 and just kind of kept moving around and, and finding good fits for me. So just really love the sport. Talk to me a little bit about your college coaching career and how that transitioned into to what you do now. Yeah, I started out at Texas Lutheran, so NAI school. Then I went to University of North Florida, a D2 school in Jacksonville, and we went in Division One while I was there. And then I was at Baylor for three years, an associate head coach, and then I was at NC State as the head coach for six years. Uh, after 30 years of coaching collegiately, I decided it was time to have a life and enjoy some weekends. And I got in the club scene in Raleigh, and then uh, we moved here to uh, – Conroe, Texas, my wife is an associate dean at Sam Houston State. So I knew some of the people at TAB Houston. I coached a couple of years, and now I'm just strictly the recruiting coordinator and consultant for the club. You you mentioned having a life. Uh, <laughs> can you expand on that for me? Well, you have a life as a coach. It's just a little bit different. Uh, there was one spring at NC State where I was on the road 12 weekends out of 16, recruiting mm -hmm. or playing. And same thing in the summers, you know, two to three weeks of recruiting in camps. Then you have your season. So it's just, I mean, it is very time consuming, but you're so engrossed in what you're doing. I mean, you really immerse yourself. So you don't really realize what you're doing. And, and then I had a little bit of time off and it was like, okay, I want to, you know, maybe explore something a little bit different because, you know, especially at that level, when I was in North Florida and Texas Lutheran, it was a little different in terms of what our budgets were and what our recruiting uh, commitments were. You know, at Baylor and NC State, you're power five. It's it's 24-7, you know, 52 weeks a year. You never really you never really take any time off. And it's because you want to and because you're so invested in what you're doing. It's just it's it's your life. And it has to be like that if you're going to be successful. Yeah, I, I'm curious the pressures that you experienced in a NAIA school versus a D1 school. What was it like? What was the emphasis between the two? the two different levels was it focused on academics was it win at all costs what, what did you feel that you faced at, at different levels well texas lutheran and in uh north florida it was more student oriented uh, they could be students as well as athletes which i really i really like the d2 model that was my favorite coaching and nai as well it's pretty similar uh, but it was more about growth of the students you know helping them become better people better volleyball players they could excel academically and there wasn't the pressure to uh, succeed now, as a coach, you put that pressure on yourself and your players obviously want to win and they're willing to do they're willing to do those kids I had at those levels. They were gritty and they were willing to do the things they needed to do to be successful, which, I, again, I really enjoyed. And you get to Baylor and NC State again, great times, but it's just a different level of what the expectations are. Um, I used to tease the kids. I would say you're here for two reasons. Number one is school and number two is volleyball. So. It was you, you sacrificed some academics and some social things to be successful. And, and there was pressures, you know, you, you were expected to be successful. Yeah, it's interesting because volleyball, 
if, if we're honest, is not at the top of the tree when it comes to funding, when it comes to coach salaries, when it comes to resources allocated, maybe even fans. Although we saw recently Nebraska had some record attendance at their, their event. Uh, what was it like from that perspective where you're fighting for resources amongst all these other 15 plus teams? And we know that a lot of those resources are being funneled to maybe one or two bigger teams with more visibility. How do you, how do you navigate that, fight that, get your resources that you need? Well, you have to have a good relationship with your administration. Uh, but you, you know, you also understand that those are the, you know, the two sports you're talking about, your revenue sports, basketball and football, that's what drives the rest of your athletic department. And that's just, that's just a fact at that level, you know, at NEI and D2, it was, it was more equal. You know, we got equal playing, excuse me, we got equal opportunities to practice on your, on your courts. It was all, it was all pretty balanced because there wasn't such an emphasis on those two programs have to win. Uh, but you get, again, you get in the power of five and you're top, you're, those two programs have to succeed if you're going to get the funding for the rest of the uh, department. And it's, it's kind of understood. So, you know, you talk to your administrator about what you need. You look at what the rest of the conference is doing in terms of their investment in that sport. So for volleyball, for instance, you know, we, when I was at NC state, we were like sixth or seventh funded in terms of recruiting, you know, everybody had 12 full scholarships, but in terms of your support staff, those things, we were, we were you know, right in the middle of the league. Uh, and that's just what happens. Last week, I asked our guests what the what the hardest part about being a a head coach in a college college environment was, and I got a list of, <laughs> of things. Let me ask you the same thing. What what was the hardest part about being a, a head coach or assistant coach in college? One of the hardest things about being a head coach is. You have to make, you know, the buck stops at your desk. You have to make all the final decisions. And sometimes they're not very popular with your players. Now, I was an assistant at, at Baylor. You have a completely different relationship with the players. It can be a lot more, um, I'm going to say informal is not the right word, but you, you're not making the final decision. So they'll open up to you about a lot of things. They wouldn't open up to the head coach. Uh, so it's a, it's a completely different relationship between the two. But you know, like I said, the head coach, the buck stops at your desk. So if you make a final call on a scholarship or whether a player is going to stay in the program or who's playing or any kind of, uh, if there's any kind of break team rules, what happens? You know, the coach is the one head coach is the one that ultimately has to decide all that. Mm -hmm. But you obviously didn't do it because it was hard. You did it because you loved it. So let me ask you the counter, which is what was the most favorite thing or the thing you enjoyed the most about being coach in college? is the relationship you can develop with the players because you're around them a lot. You know, you get to 20, quote 20 hours a week, but you're around them a lot more and just get to see them develop as people. Uh, that was my favorite part. And some of the best memories are two or three years later when they come back and say, coach, thank you. Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize what you were doing. You pushed me. You made me the best version of myself. And a lot of times they don't see that when you're in, when they're in the, when you're in the midst of it, you know, can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Uh, when you're pushing them and challenging them and letting them know you have high expectations because you feel they can, you, they can reach it. And then when they come back and say, yeah, you were right. You know, thank you very much. That, that those are, that, that's what it's about. Hmm. So you transitioned out of college coaching and went into club. What was that like for you? It was different. You know, you got them about four to six hours a week in terms of training. 
It's harder to develop the relationships with them. Uh, so it's a different kind of training. It's a different kind of relationship you have with the players. And, you know, I still, even, you know, my last team I coached at the club level was, was two years ago. And I still was not struggling, but working on how to build relationships with those players, especially they're, you know, at the club, there's 15 to 18 years old. So they're not quite as mature. So it's a, it's a different type of relationship. And I'm just taking some notes on, on what you're saying. Um, you, you went from seeing athletes 20 hours a week to seeing athletes four to six hours a week. So how did you develop relationships with players? Did you, do you have any strategies or, or methods that other coaches could use to maybe speed up that process or, or help facilitate that? You know, you have some individual meetings at the beginning of the year. You know, you spend about a half hour with each one of them or, or them or they, and their parents, uh, depending on their age, and try to get to know them. You talk to them after practice. I, I'm not a big texter, and I think that was one of my issues is developing that relationship because, you know, they live with their phones in their hands, and that's just how it is now. And I wasn't texting all the time. And, uh, so again, that made it a little more difficult for me to make that connection. I don't TikTok, I don't Instagram. And, you know, you see coaches, man, they're commenting on their photos and all these other things. I just, that just wasn't me. So that was, that was part of the issue as well. You, you now direct recruiting. And when I first saw your title, I, I got that kind of, huh, I didn't realize club teams have recruiters like this. What is your job? What is, what are your roles and responsibilities? Well, in terms of a recruiting coordinator, I help them decide which schools to kind of look at, how to how to talk to coaches, things to put in their videos, uh, how to get recruited, how to how for them to get recruited, not me going out and recruiting players. Although right. we still, although club coaches do that, I mean that's part of the club gig is that you have to go out and watch, you got to watch kids play, you got to you know try to get them to come to your tryouts, make your team. Uh, so there is recruiting that goes on, but it's not obviously like the college level. My job is to say, hey, look, you shouldn't be riding Texas and Penn State. You need to be riding Angelo State. You know, this is your level that you're probably going to find a good fit. And that's one of the things I think brings credibility when I talk to them about. You can have a great experience at any level. NAI, D2, it doesn't matter. You can have a wonderful experience. And they get some, sometimes they get so caught up in having to be a Division One school. And, you know, when I was in North Florida, we were top 10 in D2. We would have been top 125 in D1. You know, so it's very high level volleyball, but it's getting them to understand that is part of, is part of my job. Mm. Now I, I just read a, a lengthy article this morning about NIL and how athletes are now profiting from this, how they can profit from it. It's now trickling down into to high school. Have you seen any of that in, in club yet where, where players are starting to get endorsements or, or attract a, attention where they can, financially earned before they get to college? We haven't seen it in our club. Uh, I'm sure it's going to happen soon. The thing that we've seen in club in the last 15 to 20 years is top level players not 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 having to pay. You know, clubs want their marquee teams to be successful. So they, they'll offer half price or you don't pay. And then all of a sudden they got, instead of having two 17-year-old teams, they got five because people want to play for their club, and especially at the younger ages. Uh, so I do see that. I, I see our parents, which kind of scares me, worrying about NIL already. We had sophomore last year. Her dad posted something about your 
you're hurting my daughter's NIL chances, blah, blah, blah. And it was just, I mean, I was flabbergasted that he was looking at a sophomore daughter to get NIL money when she went to college. And so, I mean, that, and that's just the landscape it is right now. Hmm. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're going to show a commercial for FSU Coach. We're going to be right back in just about one minute. The mission of FSU Coach is to prepare and equip the next generation of coaches and sports professionals with best practices and current research to enable them to pursue excellence. We have two academic programs, the online graduate certificate, which is four classes, and also a 10-class master's in athletic coaching. Our graduate certificate and master's program can be started at any time, either the, the summer, fall, or spring. All of our classes have the word coach or coaching in them, and they're taught by coaches for coaches. The types of classes that we offer focus on the athlete as a whole person. We focus on the theory and practice, the research, the helping skills, uh, even some of the mental performance behind you know, what it goes into being an athlete. I came to FSU Coach because I truly believed in the mission and the purpose of the program. I think I have my dream job being a head coach at Florida State, but I know there's always more ways that I can help my athletes and better prepare as a coach, so I thought joining this master's program would help me um, learn different ways to uh, attack my job. If you're interested in going into coaching or joining the FSU Coach program, I would just say don't even think about it and do it. And if you're just joining us, we're talking with Brian Bunn, former collegiate coach and now a recruiting director for club volleyball. Brian, you've seen a lot of coaching over the years. You've done a lot of coaching, but you've also seen a lot of coaching as well. And one of the questions that, well, it's, it's more of a statement. My wife and I, we love sports. We watch a lot of sports and we see a lot of coaches. And sometimes every now and again, my wife will be like, well, our kids would never would never play for that that coach, and often, almost always, I'm, yep, I, I agree. I, I'm curious as somebody who is helping athletes get into college, maybe scholarships, maybe not. How do you evaluate a college's program and their coach to determine whether a player would fit in that environment? That's a great question. I, you know, I always talk to the players about finding the right fit. You know, you got to play for the type of coach that you're going to excel under because there's some coaches that are very demanding and there's a lot of players that respond to that. And there's some that are more on the soft side of coaching, the soft skills, and some players need that. And so I tell, always tell the players, that, man, make sure you watch them play. Go, go to a match. If you're going to think about the school, go visit, talk to the players about what kind of coach they are. Because uh, you can be super demanding on the on the field or on the court and then away from the court. I mean, really care about the players. And there's some player coaches that are like that. There's so many, as you know, there's so many styles of coaching that you can succeed with. I always tell, you know, I do coaches, I do our coaches training here. I taught a couple of coaching classes at Sam as an uh, interim. And I always emphasize you have to be true to yourself. You can't try to be another type of coach. You have to your personality has to come out in your coaching so the players know you're genuine. Because if they know what to expect and you're being genuine with them, you can connect with your players. If you're trying to be somebody you're not as a coach, then that's when there's going to be a disconnect with the players. So I tell them, I say, you know, well, watch them, see how they play. Do you need a coach that's going to stand up on the sideline the whole time? Or do you want a coach that's going to kind of sit down, coach, give you a few, you know, few minor things and feedback as you play, or need somebody in your ear all the time? You know, you got to kind of figure out what coaches you excel under. And I'll ask our players, 
I said, who's been your favorite coach so far and why? Mm-hmm. You know, why did you like that coach? Why, why didn't you like this coach? And, uh, you know, they're always going to have some, you know, their reasons. And to them, that's what it is. Uh, so I'd say you got to kind of look for a coach like that. You know, you had a coach player come play for me one time. And she goes, well, coach, you know, you're in the, in the weight room. You don't really cheer for us and encourage us to go. Perry was her name. But Perry, you come and watch our match. You come and watch 25 of our matches. She lived in the area. I go, you saw what kind of coach I am. This is my personality. This is how I coach. You know, you can't expect me to be a cheerleader when you've never seen me do that. So, th- again, there was a disconnect. And usually a disconnect because of what their expectations are a little bit different than you, than you think they are. Hmm. Got a question in the chat box. Uh, also kind of a comment. A relationship seemed to be a theme that's intertwined within coaching and recruiting. Uh, do you think an attempt to maintaining and nurturing relationships with student athletes that are leaving your team and entering the transfer portal, I'm guessing is, is should you do that? And I know you stepped out of collegiate coaching before the transfer portal, but I'm sure you had athletes who said, hey, coach, I want to leave. Uh, I want to move on. I want to try a different program. Where do you draw the line on, no, 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 we really want you to stay versus, well, you got your foot out the door. And if you stay, you may have half your foot out the door. And then we're not sure you're really going to want to be here. And that's going to create problems within the team. How do you balance that? A lot of it depends on your relationship with the player before this happens. You know, if you've had a great relationship with them and it's just not working out, you know, I've, I've helped a number of players find the right place. You know, this is a place for you. You know, my style isn't for you. Then I want you to find a place that, that you can succeed at. You know, if there's been some contentious stuff going on, maybe they weren't on board with your culture. Uh, then it's like, OK, well, you know, good luck and hope you find the right place. And then they use their recruiting coordinators. So it, it's going to come down to what kind of relationship you had with them before and how they fit in with the team before and in your program. Uh, you know, like I said, at those levels, there's been times you have to cut players. It's like, Hey, it's not working out. You, you need to find another place. You're not, you know, you're just not doing it here. It's not it's nothing about you personally, just the talent, the work ethic, whatever it is. And we do everything we can to help them find the right place so that they can contribute. Cause we want them. We want to have a great experience. Okay. How do you, how do you do that within the the remit of not everybody is good enough, not everybody's going to get a scholarship, and some people it just you're not going to make it. How do you how do you present that in a way that is not hard? They're going to take it. I mean, they're going to take it as a personal, you know, and it and it, it it's not personal, but it is. And you don't just, and I've, I've known coaches that have done this, and I've never done this. Bring a kid in, we're cutting you right now. It's not working out. Usually we have, we've had five or six conversations preceding the fact that it's not, it's not working here. You bring, you know, we statted all of our practices, all our matches obviously are statted. And we're like, look, you, just, you know, this is what's happening in practice. And in, in order for you to get better, this is what you need to do. Okay, then you meet with them again. Hey, it's just not happening. What's going on? Something happening outside the court, how school, you know, mom and dad doing okay, things like that. And you have four or five meetings with them before it's like, hey, you need to find another place. But again, I've known coaches and I won't bring up any names, but there was a coach that on June 15th, you know, July 1 is the the last day to uh, terminate a scholarship. On June 15th, brought her in and said, hey, it's not working. 
we're going to bring in somebody else. Now, this is a top five school. And that's just that's, that was the culture. Mm-hmm. And what about you trying to, to help athletes find places in college to play? How do you how do you handle that? That athlete who maybe maybe they have aspirations bigger than their own their own reality, and maybe the parents too, who think that their son slash daughter is a superstar, and of course they're going D one. And I see you laughing because we know this is true. You've been sitting in some of my meetings at TAV. It sounds like you had a bug in there or something. Every. It doesn't matter what right. what sport, what level. I promise you, those conversations happen. Oh, it's they happen. You know, we just say, look, have you have you gone to watch them play? You know, well, yeah, I think I can fit in there. Well, you're five seven. Those kids are all six one, six two. Well, they got a five seven kid on the roster. Well, she's not you. You know, there's a I don't say it that way, but it's like there's a different athleticism. You know, there's this is where we see you playing at this level. We never say what school. But we'll say, you know, a top 20 D2 school or mid-level D1 or low-level D1. You know, we try to steer them in that direction. And we had one player uh, recently who didn't want to go visit. A, it was a local school here in Houston. It's, a, you know, mid, mid to low-level D1. And I said, look, this coach is really interested. Just go visit. You don't have to commit or anything. Just go visit the school and see what it's like so you can get an idea. She was okay. Goes and visits. She's riding Colorado, Texas, Arizona. I mean, she's riding because I can see who they're riding with our sports recruits. And I'm like, hey, you know, you need to kind of focus on these other schools. That's what I really want. I said, okay, well, I'm just telling you, you're not getting any responses. So guess where she committed two months ago? The school that she went and visited first, because that's the level that she was supposed to be at. You know, it, it you know, very few kids are going to slip through the cracks anymore. There's too much, too much information available. I can watch kids across the country sitting here in my computer. So that kid's not going to fall through the cracks. So she's been evaluated. I'd say, look, you've been evaluated by those coaches. They've seen you play. You're not getting their interest. Okay. That's, it's not a knock. It's just you finding the right place to go. And that's, again, my job is helping find the right fit. And uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine who was taking their child hours away from where they lived in order to train at a specific club in the argument that, if we train here, they will succeed. They will be better where they live. The talent isn't good enough to highlight or showcase their skills. You just said it's very hard to fall through the cracks. And and my kind of response to that was, if you're good, you'll be found. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? Do you have a lot of athletes coming from distance in order to, to train within your club system? Yeah, they we got some kids an hour and a half, you know, an hour and a half to two hours. And how often do they train? Uh, twice a week. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge commitment by the parents. Uh, do they got to leave? You know, we got a five thirty practice or a six o'clock practice. They got to leave at four, and then we're done at eight. They got to get home. You know, I got homework and stuff like that, and that does include the travel for you know three day tournaments on the weekends. So we do see that. And again, I think it's. I don't think kids have changed. You probably know this too. It's parents that have changed, that, that change because kids are a product of their environment. So parents are, well, this team isn't good enough for you. So we're going to take you to another team so you can be better. And I get wanting to have the best training. But like I said, you know, if, if I'm a six foot athlete, say in volleyball, I'm a six foot athlete, I'm touching nine, 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 ten. I take a video and send it to coaches. They're going to see me play. 
And if I'm playing club, they're going to, at some point, they're going to see, they're going to come see me play. If they like my video, they're going to come watch me play. Whether I play for Timbuktu or I play for the top team in, you know, in Dallas, like Dallas Skyline or, or Houston uh, juniors, you know, those kids, I mean, those are all power five kids. So you don't have to play for those teams to get recruited. Well, I'm just going to mention I have been to Timbuktu, believe it or not, and they don't have a volleyball team. So now's your opportunity, Brian. It's a little <laughs> hot and dry there, but uh, but but certainly a lot of beach opportunities to play. A lot of opportunities <laughs> to play beach. I'll tell you that. Uh, well, just just in concluding, then thinking about your coaching experiences as a whole, what what advice do you have for? Coaches maybe young in their careers, maybe maybe looking to progress and just improve themselves. Go to as many seminars as you can, read as many books as you can to just get an idea of, of what you want to do because you're gonna it's gonna be an amalgam of a bunch of different things. It's not just gonna be reading one book and saying, "Oh, this is what I want to do." You're gonna find a bunch of different philosophies and you got to kind of meld them into your own uh, and, and realize and you know, teaching that coaching class at Sam Houston last year really opened my eyes to the students didn't realize what coaching was, what it involves. They think they showed up to practice, taught somebody how to play a game and then went home. Yeah. And like, look, guys, it's 24 seven, man. You don't, you don't just, it's six o'clock when practice is over. You don't just leave and don't think about it anymore. I mean, I wake up two and three in the morning thinking about why aren't we signing out in row three? You know, what can I do to get this kid to work harder in practice? Uh, if you're really going to be successful, you have to invest yourself. And that's, I mean, and I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade a minute of coaching in those 30 years of, you know, coaching collegiately. It was, it was fantastic. The highs and the lows and everything were great. Uh, but you got to realize what you're getting into. It's not just <laughs> an assistant coach at North Florida. Uh, she'd never coached before. She had played at a very high level. Comes in, you know, we have our two a day. She's there. She's there. First day of school, we practice at two o'clock. She shows up at one thirty. I say, hey, you know. What's up? Oh, nothing to us. Get her earlier. You know, we, we got things to do during the day. Next day, she shows up at noon. I go, no, you need to be here at 930. I go, this is, you know, we got to do travel. We got to plan. There's a lot of things that go along with coaching besides just showing up. And uh, had a great conversation with one of our directors the other day because he he'd always thought about getting a college coaching. He goes, you know, I think, you know, with the X's and O's, blah, blah, blah. I go, yeah, but that's not it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 20% of what you do. You got the recruiting, you got the administration, you got the school, you got a lot of things. You got to be good at not just coaching if you're going to coach it, it, it you know, collegiately or in, even in high school. Uh, there's there's other things you have to do besides just teaching them how to play the game. And that's that's where the eye opening comes in. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, Sunday afternoon, you got to worry about Monday's practice. And, and it's a great thing when you're that invested. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned seminars and books. You Do you have a book that you'd recommend? Oh, I, I know it's kind of volleyball, volleyball oriented, but Terry Pettit wrote a book, The Talent and the Secret Lives of Teams. And it's more about leadership. Do you know who Terry Pettit is? Yeah. Uh, amazing. Just an amazing leader. And uh, he, it's funny. He's got his degree in fine arts. So he thinks out the other side of his brain than most coaches. Right. Uh, so he really talks a lot about leadership and how to get people to follow. And that's what the, kind of this book's about. He, you know, he talks about volleyball and obviously some of the things that went on in Nebraska when he was there. But it's more about getting people to to come together and stuff that goes on the teams that you don't know about. I mean, there's just so much stuff that happens that coaches don't know. And he, that, that was part of the title, Secret Lives of Teams. But I always recommend that book, uh, but it, it would go 
over with any sport. It doesn't have to just be volleyball. That's one of my favorites. Well, last question then. If somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, maybe watching this on the podcast or on our YouTube channel later, what's a good way for them to reach out? Uh, you can email me. Uh, there's my email right there. You can email me there. I'll be more than happy to answer questions. If you want to chat about something, uh, we can set up a phone call or a Zoom or whatever. Uh, but just uh, coaching has changed so much over the last 20 years. It's, 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 it's way different than it used to be. It's, it's still good, uh, but you have to. And, uh, Terry Pettit said a great thing about uh, Russ Rose, who was a legendary coach at Penn State. He goes, he evolved. He changed how he coached and, and things that he did over a 40 year period. And he goes, you evolve or die. And that's, it's true in coaching. You have to evolve with what's going on in current culture in order, in order to be a good coach. And uh, that's why some coaches get out. There's a lot of coaches, basketball coaches that are retiring now because of NIL uh, Villanova coach who I had a great respect for a lot of them are saying, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want to do, but that's the landscape of college now. So you have to be able to manage those things collegiately. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you know, things that happen in the pros trickle down to college. Things that happen in college trickles down to high school. So it just, you know, we're headed that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for those listening to the podcast, email address is bsbun, B-U-N-N-V-B at gmail.com. Well, Brian, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate your contributions to our channel and, and hope everybody does reach out if they have questions for you. Just a reminder, we try to we try to do these every one, every week or every couple of weeks with a guest. So be sure to subscribe wherever you're watching or listening from. But on behalf of myself, Tim Baggers and Brian Bunn, thank you so much for watching. Thanks for your time.